And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. A couple of Sundays ago, I talked about how um, young people are turning away from Christ and turning away from the church and how many young people are now saying that they're uh, spiritual but not religious. Well, something of that trend, it's not as pronounced, but something of that trend is happening among older Americans today as well. Uh, There was a study that came out in 2011 with the Barna organization that looked at boomers and seniors and found it was actually kind of a mixed bag. There were some good things, but there were some concerning things from a Christian point of view. The good thing was that um, what they did is they traced religious belief and practices for 20 years within this age group. And what they found is on the positive side that seniors, I think they defined that 65 plus, uh, more and more of them were confessing faith in Jesus Christ. Three out of four seniors in 2011. And um, that's when this poll was taken, 2011. So it's been a while. But that was a 10% increase over a 20-year period. So that was the good thing. More people in the older bracket were saying that they were Christians. But then the bad thing that they started to see was an overall decline in older Americans uh, when it came to church attendance, uh, volunteering at church, and some important spiritual disciplines like consistent Bible reading. That was beginning to trend downward. And uh, I was talking to somebody this week, a member of our congregation, and she said to me, you know, uh, in this neighborhood that she lived in, people on the right and left of her um, raised their children in the church, just like she had. But she noticed once the children got old enough and they left, they stopped, her neighbors stopped going to church. So that's kind of a picture, maybe, of what's happening in America. And when you put that together with what's happening among younger people, it's very concerning. We're not in Kansas anymore. Or as a Lutheran pastor put it, when he was, thinking, he was writing about mission in America today, He said, the Eisenhower administration is not coming back anytime soon. It's not the 1950s. It's not even the 1980s when I grew up. Where it was normal to call yourself a Christian and be part of the church as part of your life. And what's happening out there in the culture, if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, can happen in here. Where our attachment to Christ can begin to weaken. And we can even show up on Sunday. But our attachment to Christ internally has been weakened. And maybe we might even drop out. And maybe we might even think at some point, it's not worth it. Christianity is not what I thought 
it was cracked up to be. It's not giving me what I thought it would give me, you see. What would Jesus say to us in this circumstance, in this situation? In Luke 9, verse 23, he says this. And I believe this would be Jesus' words to us. He said this to the great crowds. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is a call to total commitment to Christ. If anyone would come after me, this is for everyone, not just for a select few. But if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. Deny himself and take up his cross. Um, I think I quoted Luke 9 there instead of the passage in your bulletin. The passage in your bulletin goes, Whoever does not bear his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then in Luke 9.23, earlier he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So this is not just a one-time initiation. This is a daily practice. What does it mean then to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Well, it means death to self. In the first century, when you saw a man bearing a cross, that meant he was a dead man walking. His death was certain. Death to self. Self-renunciation. He says, and this is kind of the, the summary of this passage. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Self-renunciation. A willingness to give up the self for Christ who gave everything for us. To give up everything for Christ who gave everything for us. To die to self for the one who died for us. That's what it means. To be a disciple. It's as simple and demanding and as terrifying as that. Death to self in order to live for him. And then Jesus spells this out, what this might look like in the case of a disciple. Some people will face the terrible dilemma of Christ, loyalty to Christ or loyalty to their family. You see what he says there? He says, um, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, verse 26, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. And we'll stop there. Now, of course, we know that Jesus is using hyperbole. That he often used hyperbole. Exaggerated language to kind of make a point, to shock people into the reality of what he was think, saying. And that's what he's doing here. Jesus does not want us to hate people. He's not wanting us to violate one of the Ten Commandments, that we're to honor our father and mother. But the point that he's making, of course, is that you must put me above them, before them. And in fact, that's how he puts it in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, he also uses this language of the cross 
and uh, carrying the cross. And he says it explicitly in the context of your relationship with those who are closest to you. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me. See, that's the point. More than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So he's saying you must love me more than your family. And of course, Jesus' earliest followers had to make that decision. They had to be willing. His apostles had to be willing to leave their home. Um, we remember that Peter and his brother Andrew left their family and their family business, the fishing business, to follow Jesus. And at one point in Mark chapter 10, Peter says to Jesus, See, we have left everything to follow you. People who've been raised in one faith and then um, wrestle with converting to Christianity, they have to face this agonizing choice oftentimes. Um, I remember reading about a young man who converted from Islam to Christianity named Nabil Qureshi. And he wrote a book about this. Um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus is the name of this book. And he was raised in this loving Muslim family. Very devout. But through a series of events, study of scripture, dialogue with a very informed Christian, and remarkable dreams and visions of Christ, he came to a place where he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet he faced this dilemma of ripping his parents' heart out. His father and his mother. He knew that would happen if he converted to Christ. And he says this, How could Jesus turn me against my mother and father? They were such wonderful people. This is him writing in this book. How could Jesus do this? And then he went to Matthew chapter 10. This very verse that I quoted earlier. Where it says that you must love me more. Or you're not worthy of me. And Nabil says, it's not that Jesus was turning me against them. But if my family stood against him, I had to choose one or the other. Jesus or my family. And he chose Jesus. And it created a rift. And towards the end of his life, he died tragically early of cancer. But towards the end of his life, that rift began to heal a bit. But still, the tension was there. I had to choose, he said, one or the other. And it might be family. There's people in this congregation who there's tension in their family because of their loyalty to Jesus. Painful, heartache. It might be family. It might be close friends. But the question is this. If people shun us or reject us or ridicule us for our faith in Jesus Christ, will we be loyal to Him or to them? Who has first place? Jesus says, it's got to be me. Count the cost. And he says, not only your family, but your own life. Yes, he says, even your own life, you must be willing to give that to me. Now we know that the apostles, many of them, were martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, they literally had to be willing to die. 
a physical and often painful death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we know in the early church, many people at different periods, depending upon who the emperor was, had to be willing to be thrown to the lions or suffer death in a terrible way out of loyalty to Jesus Christ. And as Tertullian said, the great church father, it was the witness of the martyrs that often strengthened the church because people saw a faith that was greater than the hope that people put in this life. And Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And, they, and we know that even today, in many parts of the world, in places like Nigeria, in China, in India, in places in Africa, beyond Nigeria, there are people each and every day who are suffering physically, and are willing to die, and some of them do die. They give their lives for Christ. And Jesus says, that's what you need to understand when you follow me. I'm, he's going to Jerusalem at this point in his ministry. He knows the cross is before him. He says, I'm headed there. You need to know that if you're with me, this is where you might be headed. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So sometimes Christians have been called to make the ultimate sacrifice. But thank God we're not in that situation here in the United States of America. But all Christians are called to die to self. Take up your cross daily, he says. Daily. To die to self. And that is a very painful thing. To die to self. To allow Christ to kill off things in us that are not pleasing to Him. Our sinful self. This is very painful because Jesus is pulling at a deep root that's deeply implanted into our sinful souls thanks to original sin. That is the love of self. I mean, what's one of the first things that a toddler says after mommy and daddy? Mine. Mine. And sometimes that's accompanied with a thump on the head to the sibling who's trying to take the toy. Mine. Or you put a bowl of ice cream, a couple of bowls of ice cream on the dinner table. I want the biggest for me. I've heard this happens in other families. The self, the love of self, deeply rooted in us. And Jesus wants to take that out of us. It grows, the love of self. It grows like the kudzu and the honeysuckle in the forest behind me. It's just taking over everything. It starts to take over everything. It gets entangled in everything until somebody begins to take it out. And that's what Jesus does by His grace. This death to self is a daily and lifelong process of the disciple by the grace of God. How does the love of self show up in our hearts and lives? See if any of this sounds familiar to you. Love of self. Maybe it's 
dreaming about using the gifts and opportunities God has given us to increase, not His glory, but our glory, our power, our prestige, our standing. In other words, promoting the self. Or thinking that I can live a life that's pleasing to God. Or I can have a ministry that's pleasing to God without giving much time to prayer. That's self-dependence rather than dependence on God. Or the habit of criticizing, seeing the faults of other people and criticizing them without the habit of being on my knees or on my face before God confessing my sin. That's self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Or because I'm not feeling well, I'm not doing well, I am struggling. I have the right to make other people miserable. Misery loves company. That's self-pity. Self. I wonder if any of that sounds familiar to you. Because, friends, it does to me. That's coming from me reflecting on my sinful self. And Jesus says that if you would be my disciple, that has to die. That's what I want to deal with. So let me ask you a question. Is there a self-centered attitude or a secret sin or habit in your life or a self-dependent mindset that's happening in your soul that needs to be nailed to the cross of Christ? What does God need to deal with you today when it comes to dying to self? Such a demand that Jesus makes. It's, it's a, a, a radical, the most radical demand that Jesus makes of us here, doesn't he? But he doesn't force it. He doesn't force it on this crowd. This crowd is following him and he honors their God-given capacity to think things through and deliberate before they keep following him. Imagine the picture. Here's Jesus with a, it says a great crowd. I mean, Luke, I won't talk about all the times that Luke mentions crowds, but Luke loves to mentions, mention the crowds that follow Jesus. And it, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger as Jesus heads to Jerusalem to the end. And I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people were following Jesus now, literally walking with him as he's going into Jerusalem and they're walking and he stops and he turns to them and he talks to them about sitting and thinking. They're walking and he talks to them about stop and think what you're doing. And that's what those two parables are about. They're about stopping and thinking before you go forward. If you're going to build a tower, he says, what man of you wouldn't build a tower and first sit you see, and, and think, do I have the money to finish this? Who does not first sit down and count the cost? Or what king going out to war will not first sit 
and think about it, deliberate. Do I have what it takes to fight against this person who's coming against me? And so that's what Jesus is doing. He wants people to stop. He wants people to think about the cost of following him. He's not. So we should not, in our discipleship, we shouldn't pressure people. We should not pressure people to make a choice to follow Jesus. We need to put that choice before them. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to move on their hearts. But this needs to be part of our teaching, even our children and our grandchildren and the children in Sunday school. Is that there's a cost to this. There's a cost to this. It'll cost you everything. But there's another aspect to this. There's another part of the cost-benefit analysis. There's another part. Of, there's some more data here that Jesus talks about in his teaching. It's not here, but it's in other places in the gospel. So part of it is the cost of following him, but the other part of it is the cost of not following him, the negative side of the coin. And so Jesus says in Luke 9, after he's talked about the call to be his disciple and to take up his, of the cross, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul or his very self? You could have the world. You could have the wealth of the world. You can be Elon Musk. You can have the glamour of the world, the fame of the world. You can be... Trying to think of a famous person right now. Taylor Swift. You, you can have the, all the prominence of the world, the money of the world. He says, that's, but if you lose your soul, your eternal soul, what does it matter? So there's a cost here. He says, if you are ashamed of me before men, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in glory before God and the holy angels. And so, there's a cost to not following Jesus, and the cost is spiritual death. That's one part of this. So that's the negative side of it. This is about eternal destiny. But it's also not just about what happens in eternity, but it's about experiencing the blessing of God in this life as well. So that's another part, that's some more data that Jesus gives us to think about and to talk about as we're talking to people about following Jesus. So there's a, there's a cost to following Him. There's a cost to not following Him. It has to do with your eternal destiny. It also has to do with experiencing the blessing of God in this life, in the here and now. And so he says in Mark 10, when Peter says, remember how I said Peter said, see Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Then do you remember what Jesus said? He says to Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, in this age. There's a blessing for you, Peter, in this age, a hundredfold blessing for you in this age 
for giving up that and following me. And then he does talk about eternity and persecution. But he does say, there's a blessing for you, Peter, and anyone who gives up for me in this age, in this time, you're going to experience a blessing. Yes, your loyalty to Christ may cause tension with others, but you'll have an inner peace. You'll have a peace with God. Yes, family and friends may shun you and ridicule you, but you'll be brought into the family of God, which is comprised of people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. Yes, your commitment to Christ and His kingdom may, not, may mean that you don't have as much money or material possessions as your neighbor, but you'll possess the presence of God, which money cannot buy. No amount of money can possess the presence of God for you. And so in his book, The Shadow of the Cross, Walter Chantry makes an essential point that I want you to hear today. Walter Chantry, in his book, The Shadow of the Cross, self-denial for Christ is not a form of masochism. The goal is not pain. The goal is blessing. And it's through the cross that there's blessing. Self-denial, he says, is the spiritual birth pain of spiritual joy. No woman seeks birth pains. I've seen it six times now. It's not easy. It's really hard on me. And it's a little hard on the wife, too. To see her go through it and experience that. You don't do this because of the pain, he says. You do it because of the joy of holding an infant. It is the sheer delight of living for the glory of God and the satisfaction of dwelling in His presence, the presence of His majestic fellowship that Christians will submit to the agony of self-denial. So the road to joy, the road to maturity, goes through the cross. And the road to revival in the church and in our life goes through the cross. And we need to pray that God will raise up among us and among our children and our grandchildren people who have this kind of deep commitment to Christ, no matter the cost. I heard a missionary this week. He's a Ukrainian. He lives here in Chicago, or he lives here in the United States in Chicago area. He goes back to Ukraine. He's been back to Ukraine five times now during this war. And he's been supporting the people there spiritually and, and uh, physically as well, ministering to their spiritual needs, their physical needs. But his story was interesting. He said he grew up um, under communism. And because there weren't too many churches, his parents took him to church every Sunday. They had to walk a total of eight miles to church. Because it was under communism, the government did not want children learning about Christ. And so anybody under the age of 18, if you had somebody under the age of 18 and you brought them to church, you had to pay a fine. His father paid almost half of his salary to bring his children to church. They walked eight miles. And 
at 15, 16, this young man thought, maybe Christianity is not for me. And so he began to move away from Christ. His parents saw that happening in their children, in this son. And he said, I came home one night, late at night, and I heard them praying for me in the middle of the night. And it shook me because it was like they were praying about a death, a tragedy. And God used that prayer to wake this young man up to his own spiritual desperate, desperate condition. Now, this man is a missionary for Christ and he's going back to Ukraine. And as I heard that story, I thought, think about the cost that these parents paid. The time and the energy, eight miles a Sunday, the money, almost half of this man's salary, the prayers, instead of sleeping, they're up praying in the middle of the night. That's what it took. And now this man is at the front lines and he said, God is doing a work in Ukraine in the midst of this tragedy. And he's there on the front lines. That's the kind of price that it takes. Our crucified and risen Christ has told us. He's shown us the way. He took the way of the cross. Will we forsake self? Will we trust his word? Amen. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to trust you. And help us by your Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do this. There's no way we can do this in our own strength. And I didn't have the time to talk about it, Lord, in the sermon. But I hope every one of us understands that there's no way we can die to self without the Spirit of God and turning to Him. So help us, Lord, to do this in our lives. By your grace. By your Spirit. Give us a greater commitment to you for the blessing of others and for the glorification of your holy name. Amen.